All right, everybody, welcome back to the Cat and Cloud podcast. It's Chris Bach again. Guess what? I'm here by myself again. Guess what? Jared's back, but guess what? He's taking the day off. And you know what? I support that. If you go on a big trip, if it's for work, give yourself a day to recover, especially if you're stomping around Honduras. It's, you know, you get out of your routine, you do things a little bit differently, you have the best time ever, you talk with some producers, you hang out with your homies, and you got to recover, so recovery day. So today we're going to do part two of the Instagram Q&A. Again, I'm going to save a couple of them because I think some of them are going to be real nice for Jer and I to tackle together, but I'm going to go through the bulk of them. Thank you so much for your questions again. It was really, really, really awesome. Last episode, I talked about the podcast that I did with Matt Diavella, the director of the Netflix documentary Minimalism, and this week we've got a podcast from like the other side of the world with Jared. So Jared was on The Business of Fitness, which is Jason Kalipa's podcast. He's the owner of NorCal CrossFit or CrossFit NorCal. I can't, I don't know if I'm saying that right or put my thing down, flip it and reverse it, you know what I'm saying? But it's episode 43, Crushing Coffee Culture. I'm going to link it in the show notes below. So if you want to go ahead and support my bro, go over, listen to that podcast, listen to them all. Leave it a thumbs up or whatever you do with podcasts. Tell all your friends, you know, tell me if you listen to it. I, I don't even know. Who knows? Let's let's see what's going on. Let's, let's get into the questions because I'm feeling spicy. I'm out here in the wind. It's windy as shit. So if you hear the wind, hey, you're just going to have to deal with it and know that deep inside, deep inside, I love you. All right, here we go. Time management within a busy lifestyle. Why can't I seem to keep up? Okay, so if you can't keep up with your busy lifestyle, there's a couple things you need to check. One, you need to check, are you doing, are you trying to do too much stuff? And if you don't think you're trying to do too much stuff, are you optimizing what you can? So do you have systems set out for everything. I just talked to my friend Mike Reezy, a.k.a. Reezy Resells. You can listen to his episode. We'll link that below, too. Um, he is one of the busiest people I know, and he was just talking about chunking his day and taking things like responding to people on social media, and instead of doing those throughout the day, doing that in a block of time throughout the day. I just read Cal Newport's book, Digital Minimalism, where he talks about some similar things and chunking time when you text your friends or having hours when you're available to make phone calls and, and things like that. And that one thing that Cal really talks about that hit home with me so hard was the idea of maxima, maximalist versus minimalist. Maximalist versus minimalist. And a maximalist will do this. Anything that adds value to their life, they will go ahead and take that on, throw it in there. Like, this is going to make my life easier. This is going to add some sort of value. Cool. I'll throw it in there. A minimalist takes the opposite stance and looks at, sure, there's a lot of things that can add value. I only want to take things on that are directly correlated to my biggest goals, my biggest hopes and dreams, and then I'll double, do like a double opt-in. Is this the best way to accomplish that? Example, if something that you really value is connection and family and you can justify, cool, I'm going to use Instagram this much so I can look at the pictures of my new nephew who's born and I can double click like. Um, do I really need that in my life? Sure, it's adding value. It's, it directly correlates to that connection of family, but is it the best way to do it? And the answer is maybe not. Instead of scrolling through Instagram, you can maybe pick up the phone, call, have a little bit of a deeper connection, and then avoid all that scrolly time. So that's a little bit of a tangent to address. Are you being as efficient with your time as you think you can? Are 
you putting things in buckets? And are you focusing on the things that matter the most to you? We live in a world where it seems like everyone's doing everything. Anything is possible. And there's so much available to us. And a lot of us don't know how to strip it down into things that are really, really bringing us joy. Because all the other stuff is super basic. Sure, you get a morning routine. You make your bed. You do the calendar. You make your to-do list. Those are all they're helpful, but if you're asking these questions, you're probably doing this stuff already. So take a step back, evaluate everything that you're doing, and look at what's really serving you and your goals. Next question. How much of taste do you think is subjective versus objective, i.e., 70-year-old dude ever order Kenyan V60, V60 etc.? That, uh, well, geez, um, I don't know if I've particularly ever served a Kenyan V60 to a 70-year-old, although I don't usually ask guests their age, but here's the thing. There's a certain amount of taste that's always going to be subjective. And I think when we're looking at people who have long-standing traditions or long-standing expectations of a certain product, i.e. coffee, if you have someone who's 70 years old and has been drinking coffee all of their life, they have a certain expectation of that product. And I don't think at all that those people cannot, I don't think, gosh, back that thing up. I don't think at all that those people can't learn to enjoy some of those more subtle nuances of quote unquote, third wave specialty, high end specialty coffee. If you feel like you're facing that as a barrier in your business or in people that you're trying to share your passion with coffee to, I would advise you to do these little tiny, little tiny steps. So if someone's been drinking Folgers out of a can their whole life and then you hit them with natty geisha pour over, it, the, the gap is too big. There's too much of a gap there. It's no matter how good the coffee is, it's going to taste unfamiliar to them and that's not good. So maybe take something from a reputable roaster. So if I was looking at our menu, I would start with something like the Night Shift, which is our darkest roasted option, still done with really good coffee. So it's got some nuance, it's got a little bit of character, but it's got that dark roast bite that makes it familiar and it gives them gives people something to latch onto. By the way, just full-blown disclosure, I'm drinking coffee into the day and guess what? It's decaf and I feel like I'm jacked. I just had three ridiculous conversations in a row. So if you're feeling the jittery energy, it's a real thing. I'm not even going to try to hide it. It's just where it is. So get someone started on that dark roast situation and don't push the coffee on them too hard. Over time, people will be able to adapt. Someone came into the shop a couple months ago and told me point blank period. He grabbed me, pulled me aside. He said, you're one of the owners here. I said, yeah, I actually am one of the owners here. And he said, I learned to like good coffee just so I could come here. And he went on to tell me this story about how he came in to check us out when we first opened, but he'd been drinking really, really dark roasted coffee his whole life. And he tried our coffee and he hated it. He didn't like it at all. So he left, but he would come back from time to time when the other coffee shops were a little bit more full or he just needed a place to work. And he said that our people were so damn nice to him and it made him feel so good to come through the door that he slowly over time started getting on this track. He would get night shift by the cup and now he drinks whatever we have on tap. And I think that's even more powerful than attacking it from the coffee end. If you're talking about a retail presence, how are you making people feel? If you capture their hearts and minds, capturing their taste buds is fucking 
Easy. No big deal. All right. Up next, how to move on from your past, which haunts you. Um, I, I don't know. Great question. Something that worked for me is always trying to look forward. You can look back to learn a little bit, but there's, there's no sense in dwelling on anything because it's in the past. You can't change anything. All you can hope to do is learn from it. And if you have crappy situation X, if you can come out the other side a better person, that's a super big win. So before Cat and Cloud happened, I had another business which burst up into flames and was one of the hardest times of my life. And now I don't look on that period with hate. It wasn't the best time, but I learned so, so much. And instead of beating myself up, I'm like, cool, I had the experience. I went for it. Here's a list of 10 things that I'll never do again. And they help me in my life currently and will help me in my future life. Podcasts that inspire you. I love, love, love James Altucher's podcast. It's the one that I'm probably the most into right now. When you first start to listen to him, he's like this really weird, quirky kind of, I don't know. He's he's this real off-the-cuff, strange personality, and he's not everyone's flavor for sure, and it took me a while to, to get into him, but I love that he's ridiculously honest, really open. And when he does interviews, he's fully in the moment and he's present with the guest and he's not afraid to go down this wormhole and his curiosity shines through. And I really, really like that. On the other end of the spectrum, I've been listening to Jen Gotch's podcast, the first season of her podcast. She's the chief creative officer at Bando. Look them up. I'll put a link down there. She talks a lot about mental health, and her podcast has a lot of texture to it. So she records some stuff in studio with full professional gear, some stuff with portable microphone on the road kind of situation, and then some stuff just right into her phone. So you get this these different audio textures, and whoever edits it does a really good job because they put it all together, and she has different characters that pop in that are still herself, i.e. future gen and past gen. And I love the way it's done. I think it's a really immersive experience, and she's just really, really honest. If you want to go hardcore, you can't go wrong with the Jocko podcast. He just tells it like it is. Again, you got the military flavor. Not everybody loves it, but I I love it. And he he usually starts off with this little little reading from some crazy book, and he, he has it in this, like, creepy almost voice of god kind of thing and he's you know a real tough guy so if you can get past the military flavor there's tons of lessons to be learned there that's just a few of them i listen to so many podcasts jared listens to story brand podcasts a lot there's this podcast for days we should probably have a podcast link resource on our website but we don't i'm sorry we'll do it at some point and figure it out Thoughts on the Ristretto Roasters debacle up in Portland. What are the learnings? I don't know what you're talking about, but we could probably learn something. Oh, my God. This one's amazing. Ran about things you fucking hate about coffee. I don't hate anything about coffee. There's plenty of stuff I hate about the coffee industry. But I got to tell you, I think those things would be much more fun to rant on with a friend here. So I'm going to skip that for now because here's the thing. I'm already known as like a negative dude. I don't need I don't I don't need to go deeper into that rabbit hole. I don't need more people hating me. Let's just fucking let's let's keep people psyched for right now. 
Coffee by Josh says, The Third Door, currently reading, want to know your thoughts. I hit you up on Instagram on this one. I think the book's amazing. It's one of my favorite books. We interviewed Alex Benayan. His podcast is going to come out soon. And, geez, get, if you haven't read The Third Door, it'll make you feel like anything's possible. And I fucking love that. How to keep the integrity in specialty coffee as it hits the mainstream. I don't think having integrity and being in the mainstream are mutually exclusive. Another question would be, did specialty coffee ever have any integrity? And what do we mean by integrity? When I first started as a barista, integrity meant you served espresso for here always. Uh, you don't take cappuccinos to go either because that's weird. If someone wants something non-fat, you probably don't give it to them. Or coffee bars that didn't have any sugar or condiments were seen as having a lot of integrity because they were protecting that beautiful product of beautiful coffee. And I think that that definition of integrity is super, super bullshit. There's another level of integrity that has to do around, has to do around, it has to do around, revolves around how, how we leverage coffee farmers, coffee producers in our marketing. And we touched on this a little bit last time. I feel like we need to have a little bit more transparency about just how much we're impacting these people's lives if we're going to use them to sell coffee. And I don't really think it's the number one tool that we need to be using to sell coffee. I get it. It's sexy. It's fancy. You paint this beautiful picture of places far away and it's really romantic. And that, that's, that's, totally, that's totally fine. But take a step back and see who you're serving. Is it them? Or are you really serving yourself? Are you really providing those people the lifestyle that you're claiming to provide them with the amount of money that you're paying them for coffee. There's that level of integrity. The level, the level of integrity that I'm most concerned with is how are we acting as businesses as we grow? Meaning, do we have a value structure in place? Do we have a mission statement that defines who we are, what we're all about, and do we continue to live by those things as the allure of more and more money, more profit, more locations, more expansions, VC buyouts, those things are all knocking at our door. Can we stick true to what we believe in and maneuver through the business world and have that integrity? If we set out to do good things for our employees, can we keep doing those good things for our employees when it's uh, you know, a whole lot easier to put a little extra money in your pocket or skim off the top? Are we going to give away little parts of our company to hopefully make someone's life better, which Hey, sidebar, I don't even know if we talked about it already, but actually, I do know if we talked about it. We fucking already talked about it. We talked about it for sure. There's four new owners in Cat and Cloud, employees who have equity in the company. Grace, Kristen, Alex, Tanner, welcome. It's not a huge percentage. It's going to grow over time. But our hope is that as those things happen, as the mainstream of coffee keeps rolling in and our business continues to thrive and grow, at some point... That's relatively small percentage is going to be worth a sizable amount. And their payout every year, you know, their distribution is going to be huge. And if for some reason we're like, hey, we're going to get rid of this thing, we're not going to sell it to some fucking rando, we can just hand it over to them and they can reap the benefits for that. So I think as with anything in life, if you don't have a value structure around it, you're setting yourself up to fail. 
same thing applies in your personal life. If you don't know what you believe as a human, anything comes along, you'll be ready to sell your friends out, sell your family out, and that shit is fucking whack. So coffee's not unique in that sense. It's just a newer industry. Specialty is hitting the mainstream a little bit harder. So take a step back and, and look. And on the consumer side, I'd love to see people support businesses that support the things that they believe in. As you can get better coffee more and more places, where do I want to spend my money? Do I want to spend my money with a big, huge corporation that's owned by someone that I don't know? Then I don't know what they believe. I don't know what what I'm what my what is my dollar contributing to? Do I want to spend money in that situation, or do I want to give to where I I know what that payout's going to be? I know what kind of culture I'm investing in. So, value system, value system, value system. Modest Micah asks. How to plan your journey from barista to cafe owner. First, you need to decide if you want to have that journey. We talk about this a lot at Cat and Cloud in that the traditional career path for someone in coffee kind of works like this. You know, you get hired, you wash dishes, you're, you're doing some busing or something like that, doing the register, and then you move up and you get to be a barista, and then you get to be a shift lead or a shift supervisor, then a manager, and then a cafe owner. The problem is not everybody's cut out for cafe ownership. Not everybody wants to be a cafe owner. And the job is a lot different than most people think it is. I loved being a barista. I loved, loved working on bar. But transitioning into cafe ownership was really, really tough for me. And here's the thing. I've actually never managed a cafe. Jared managed the retail and the businesses that we worked in prior, and I would always work in marketing and ultimately ended up managing business development or what most people would call wholesale. And I don't think that I could open a cafe if it was just me. Actually, I don't even have to think about that. I know I couldn't open a cafe. It was just me. So you need to ask yourself, what's my expectation of my job? What am I going to do? If you feel like, okay, you're going to be in your zone I really want to do this. I know it's going to be a part of my journey. The biggest thing you can do is talk to other cafe owners. I'm assuming you also already have been working in a cafe for a decent amount of time to where you understand the business reasonably well. But make sure you ask people around you, ask business owners, ask your mentors things about the business that they don't teach you from being a barista. How does the P&L work? How do I manage my cogs? What's the deal with cash flow? What kind of inventory are we carrying? What are our monthly expenses? What are our biggest costs? What is labor running? What kind of overhead do we have? You need to understand the P&L of running a cafe if you're going to run a cafe. And there's no reason you can't learn that stuff while you're working for someone else. And if the people that you're working for aren't going to share those things with you, fuck that. That is fucking ridiculous. I don't, I, I just can't get on board when people don't want to share those things. Because here's the thing. If you're a motivated, driven individual and you're going to do your own thing, let's say you work for me. You work for Cat and Cloud and your ultimate dream is to open a cafe. For our employees, if they're, if they're winning, we're winning. And whether that win comes with us or comes with them doing their own thing, I don't even care. It doesn't matter to us. So if I can help you out on your journey... I feel really good about that. And I think more people should have that attitude instead of being like, yeah, this is my hard-earned knowledge. You know, I'm not going to give it to you or you're going to come and try to be a competitor of me. That's just like the biggest bullshit ever. So try to get a job somewhere where someone will share that information with you. Doesn't mind taking a little bit of time out of their schedule and mentoring you because that 
that is like a real value that cafe owners can provide. Because let's be real, most baristas aren't making a shit ton of money. They're not making enough money to have what you'd call a quote-unquote career or a living wage, whatever you want to call it. So as a business owner, aside from money, which we're responsible to provide, it, it, also, it also pays to look at what other ways can I enrich this person's life who's chosen to come on this journey with me and sharing knowledge is one of the biggest ways, maybe even bigger if you know someone's going to be a business owner in the future. You know, freaking try try that on for size. Buffon. Buffon Charlie. Buffon Charlie. Buffon Charlie. Putting oneself in uncomfortable situations in order to grow. Pluses and minuses. There's only upsides. There's no really downsides. I mean, the downsides are you fail, you don't do what you've set out to do. But as we mentioned earlier, every time you pretty much learn something. And here's the thing. If you don't, also, here's the other thing. How many fucking times in this episode have I said, here's the thing? I think maybe we'll have a here's the thing counter because I apparently I'm on a here's the thing kick. So just deal with that. If you don't step outside your comfort zone, you're not going to grow. And you're just going to be in the same spot one year down the road. You're going to be in the same spot two years down the road, five years down the road, ten years down the road. And if you can look at yourself, look at the future version of yourself and say, the fear that I have right now, that uncomfortableness that I feel is greater than me looking 10 years down the road and being in the exact same spot, you're not going to be able to move. You You need to have that foresight and be like, this uncomfortable feeling, it's just temporary. I know I need to grow. I know I'm going to have setbacks along the way. And I think that's important to acknowledge is that you are going to have losses. There's no way you're only going to have wins. And you don't need to even have a high ratio of wins to losses. I'll tell you right now, I have far more losses than wins. It doesn't matter. What matters is at the end of the day, you move the needle forward. So you will feel uncomfortable. You will probably feel fucking terrified And that's fine. Deep breath. Go forward. Run a fucking train on this motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? Maybe more on coffee roasting. Can you know good or bad beans by looking at them? Yo! Big, big question. Yes and no to a certain degree, but not to like the level that you can make a buying decision on. I'm going to shelf that one until we get someone from the roastery here that I can riff off of because I think Charles would be really great at tackling that topic along with Grace. You know, you get a green buyer combo, head of roasting combo, get get them together. That They're, they're probably going to have more fun with that than I am. The Rishinator wants to know about ice cream. Well, I don't eat ice cream. Paleo. All right? Paleo. This one is a common theme. This just keeps popping up. And I think it's maybe because the competition season is upon us. So we talked about barista competition and how I feel about them currently last episode. Peter wants to know more about my barista competition days. How do they help you be a better barista in the day-to-day? That's a really good question. The the biggest thing that I think I took away from the barista competitions, and there there's two of them. One of them were technical skills. And technical skills as far as managing waste, managing your station, everything has a place, there's a workflow to everything, not wasting any motion, moving really efficiently. 
And that was something that I thought I was doing before I competed in barista competitions. But until I had those tech judges swarming around me, literally writing down everything I did wrong, every tiny like gram of coffee that I spilled, every time I picked up a pitcher in one place and set it down somewhere else, it, it just drew this, this different level of awareness to the whole situation. And implementing that onto bar was, was pretty awesome and it definitely Im improved my efficiency and just kind of improved my general awareness of the space that was around me. So that is a really, really big win. The second big thing that Breeze Competitions helped me out with was f figuring out a way to distill an idea get it across in a way that was easy to understand in a relatively short amount of time. So throughout whatever presentation you're making, you're, you're kind of writing a paper. You know, you have this, you have this thesis that you're doing. You have, a, you have this great idea that you want to bring to the people and you got to bring it to the people and condense like something that you're really passionate about into, you know, five, 10, 15 minutes. So going through that process really helped me in things that I do now, like making videos, if I'm trying to script out a video, I can kind of chop away all the unnecessary stuff much more easily and present something that feels a little polished. Now, I was a history major in college, so another advantage that I had was I wrote shitloads of research papers. I mean, tons of papers, and that definitely helped writing, but that was more long format so, you know, pages and pages and pages and pages and pages and pages in the barista competition helped me get these long ideas down to short ones. So that was a long way of me saying that I'm actually good at making it short. So I just proved myself a liar. But try it out. Oh, this is the best question. What do you do when your business partners takes on a different vision of the business than yours? So... When we sat down to quote unquote create Cat and Cloud or get the ideas going, one of the first things that we did was try to identify our mission, our vision, and our values as a business. And this was a really, really large process. We've talked about it before, but it's something that you shouldn't take lightly. And by the time the business was started, we all knew that in general, we wanted to go in the same direction. What success looked like was was pretty similar. Now, we disagree all the time. We have open, honest, and sometimes heated discussions all the time. There's a couple things that make this really easy. One advantage that we have is that there's three of us. So anytime something gets a little bit sticky, two-thirds vote always wins. So we never have this gridlock. We never have this, if it was just Jared and myself and Charles wasn't in the picture, we're disagreeing on something, we have a stalemate, and that's no good. I'm not saying that you can't do it with two, but it's really, really nice to have that swing vote. The other thing is to understand people's thought processes and understand people's intentions. So Charles and I process things in very different ways. Jared and I process things in different ways. Charles and Jared process things in very different ways. But we've all taken the time to get to know each other and understand how we process things. So things that used to frustrate me about dealing with both of them, I can now just kind of sit back and let the conversation unravel, ask some questions, see where they're coming from. And the same thing with them, because let's be real, if you've ever been in a conversation with me, it can be one of the most frustrating things you've ever done in your life. And knowing that at the end of the end of the day, we're all 
bought into this idea that what we're going to create is going to be greater than just the three of us. And we all want the best for the organization. So we've never had anything come up that's just purely, purely selfish. Someone's trying to do something just for them. Everyone's in that mindset of helping the people around them. So knowing that your business partners have really good intentions definitely helps take the pressure when you're having those challenging conversations. Try it out. I don't know how many business partners you have, but I hope it's an odd number. Jake asks or says how treating employees well reduces turnover and why that's a good thing. Jared had this really brilliant idea when we opened, and that was to take the idea of turnover and turn it into a math equation. So if you say turnover is bad, cool. That is universally accepted. Nobody really likes turnover. Treating your employees well will certainly make them want to stay longer. But at what cost? And when you're looking at preventing turnover, going for low turnover rates, you, you really have to look at what are you willing to do for your employees and how much is that going to cost you. So a lot of the things we do, like the profit sharing, the trips to origin, all of those things, they cost money. You know, giving people an equity to company means they get a distribution at the end of the year, a percentage, percentage of profits. Like, it all costs money. It's money that we could use to do different things. So what Jared did was like, okay, let's, let's get these things on the table. What do we want to do? How much is it going to cost us? Now, let's assign a monetary value to the cost of training X amount of new employees throughout the year over five years, over 10 years. So what's average turnover rate for a cafe? I can't remember the number, but you get where I'm going. Add up the training costs of that and, and build that number. And guess what we found? We found that it's actually cheaper for us to provide really awesome things for our employees than it is to continually train new people. So you've got a win in the dollars and cents column. You've got a monetary win that's on your side. Here's the bigger win that people don't think about is you have a huge win in the cultural bucket. The longer someone stays for you, the more they understand, the more they become this rock in your culture. And if your turnover, ha if you have like really constant turnover, you never have those big cultural strongholds and that can affect your business in way worse ways than having to shell out money for training. You know, people get to know our people. People have a strong sense of what our business is about. And it's because we have mainstays in our culture. And the only way you get people, not the only way, but one of the ways you get people to buy into your culture is by taking care of them, going out of your way, going a little bit extra. So I also don't know why you would want to have employees and treat them really shitty, but people do. And maybe that ties back into what I said before and that, you know, maybe not everybody's cut out to be a cafe owner. If, if you don't want to deal with people all the time, you might not want to own a cafe. So I think a lot of people get into business, don't really have a big idea what it's going to be about. And they're like, man, these employee people that I have to deal with, these motherfuckers are just annoying as shit. Like, what's what's going on? I feel grumpy because I'm not in my happy place. So I'm going to be mean to my employees. Now everybody loses. Now I go to business. Then I go home. Then I cry and look in the mirror while I drink chamomile tea every night with shitloads of honey. It's not good. Making time for yourself and not working. One of our values is care. And our definition of care is pursuing the best version of yourself. 
And there's one person in our company that I think is the epitome, the epitome of our care value, and that is Sarah Shirls. Sarah Shirley takes more vacations than anybody I've ever met. We she's full time, so she's got four weeks paid vacation. So she's she's more than welcome to take those. Not everybody, you know, takes the four full weeks, but she's maxing that out every time. And she knows that her happy place is traveling the world, going to new and interesting places, interacting with people from different cultures and living that life. And guess what? She's always in the store and she's always got a smile ear to ear. You like you never catch Sarah on a down day. She's never like, how you doing? Oh, I don't know. I'm okay. She fucking brings the energy and it's because she knows what makes her happy. And if you find out what make you makes yourself happy, you got to you got to spend time, you got to spend time to explore that because if you're not if you're not taking time for yourself, you're probably not showing up in your best capacity in all your other ventures. So if you come to work half baked, you haven't done anything for yourself in 2 weeks, 4 weeks, a month and 4 weeks is a month. What the heck, dude? Inception. But if you haven't done anything for yourself, you're not going to be your best self for the people around you. Around you, you're not going to have the growth that you deserve. And if you're in leadership, you're not going to be influencing those people to be the best that they can be. And that just sucks. Getting people to take time off is one of the hardest things to do. You really have to do more than give them permission. You have to encourage it. And if you're a really goal-oriented person, you need to know that stepping back taking some time for yourself is actually going to get you to that goal faster than just constantly grinding out on that goal. So you're actually saving time by taking time. What? Pushing the boundaries of customer service. I don't know what that means, but we try to do it every day. To borrow from the man, Walt Disney, the easiest way to assess pushing the boundaries of customer service is to see everything through the guest's eyes and not your own. Yes, I get it. It's your business. But guess what? You're probably the least important person there. It's not about you. It's not about you. Take a step back and see things, 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 things. Take a step back and see things through the guest eyes. That's, there's so many ways to push the boundaries of customer service. It really depends on where you're at right now. But I'll tell you what, right back in with some specificity, hit me with a DM and Jared and I will unpack the hell out of this thing for you. And, you know, we'll just have a great time because we love talking about customer service. We love talking about guest service because we're like, we don't even have customers. We have guests. How's that for a mind melter? Tell me how you feel about it. That. Tell me how you feel. All right. This was Instagram Q&A number two. Thank you for bearing with me and my jittery, caffeinated, highly charged self. I've had two really great days in a row. Thank you to everybody at Cat and Cloud for providing that for me. Let us know what else you want to know. Hit us up. Hit us up anywhere. Write in. Text us if you can find our number. I don't know what happens. I hope everyone has a great day. We'll be back next week with my man JT. And, you know, stay dialed, y'all. I'll catch you on the flip side. Peace.